0: Hello and welcome back to The Stories That Brought You Here, a podcast dedicated to the stories of the people living in and around the Salish Sea. I'm your host, Chris Walkalek, and it's my pleasure to get to sit down in conversation to hear the stories that brought people to this magical part of the world we live in, and also hear the stories that brought them to the point that they're at in their lives right now. This episode you're about to listen to is part of a special series I'm doing called Welcome Home. As you know, the world has changed a lot in the last two and a half years, and so has the little island I live on called Pender. Many people have decided to make a big change in their lives and move to this little island, and I thought that this would be a good opportunity to get to meet some of them. This time around, I'm going to be speaking with Johnny Cunningham. In the spring of 2020, Johnny was living in Victoria and working as a cook in the kitchen for a prestigious golf club in Victoria. He was also in the beginning of a new relationship with a woman on Pender Island at that time. Johnny will tell the story about how he decided to move over here during that time and make a go at living on Pender, and how things have been ever since. He'll also talk about his time growing up with a large family in Ontario, his pure passion for cooking at home and also at the workplace, and also he's going to share stories about his love of photography and the lessons he's learned from his time in nature waiting to take that perfect picture. All that and more that I think you're going to enjoy in a great interview with Johnny. Before we get rolling, I want to let you know that this podcast train is going to keep going. There's lots of episodes coming out. If you're new to this, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Lots of different ways to stay updated to new episodes. You can subscribe to Podbean. You can join the Facebook page. I have a Twitter account and I am also on YouTube now. So any one of those ways you can keep up to date with new episodes. And I'd also like to mention that this episode is sponsored by the Tree and Transformation Calendar, made by my lovely wife, Geneva. For the past number of years, she's been creating beautiful calendars featuring original works of art, and for 2023, she's created a colorful, beautiful calendar with each month representing a different tree. The calendars come on individual pieces of paper, so you can hang one month at a time or 12 on a wall, as some people have, or three on your refrigerator like we do at home. So a purchase of these calendars is not just going to help you know what day it is every day next year. It's also going to help contribute to keeping this podcast rolling along. I put a lot of time into making these interviews sounding great, and I love doing them, but they do take quite a lot of time. I've been trying to figure out a way to help offset the costs of making this podcast and I came up with this idea to help support my wife sell calendars, which in turn helps me and helps this podcast. So if you like what I do here and you want to help support this, you can buy a calendar or you can buy more than one. Please go to genevajacobsart.com and there you can find the calendars for sale. You'll find a link for that as well in the show notes. Just click on that and it should send you to the page where you can purchase the calendars which, again, are totally beautiful, and you can see the images of the calendars there. All right, thanks very much for listening to that. So first, a little bit of music, and then my interview with Johnny Cunningham. So what was your introduction to the Gulf Islands, Johnny?
1: The first time I ever saw the Gulf Islands, I was uh, Salt Spring with uh, my best friend, Tim, which is a good story that uh, we should probably talk about. But anyway, he, uh, he's like, hey, we want it. We're going camping. We'd like you to come. We're going to Salt Spring. I can't remember the name of the camping grounds we stayed at. It, it blew me away how hippie-ish. Salt Spring was from uh, like a small town Ontario guy. And I'm um, like, yeah, I guess it was judging everybody. There's a lot of signs, like pro bikes, a lot of like, if you don't like bikes, well, this isn't the island for you to to be on. And uh, anyway, we stayed at this beautiful uh, campground. Everything is colored blue, purple-ish. And uh, we get there. We'd already paid beforehand. And we get there at the uh, at the main building and nobody's there. But there's a note and it says, if you're here for your campsite, check the chart on the wall. And if you haven't paid, just leave it in, the, in this basket and here's some change. <laughs> and nobody's there.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, it's really early in the morning and I'm looking at the coffee and then I see another sign, coffee, $1.50. Here's some change. Just leave it. And there's again, there's nobody. So I'm like, I don't have a coffee. I don't know how old this is, but like, I make my own coffee. That way, we find our uh, our site. We were there for the weekend. Nice hot weekend in August, and that was my first greeting to uh, Gulf Islands.
0: Okay, and what year was that in roughly? That
1: was. Um, Four, five years ago. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. So very recently. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so at the time you were living in?
1: I was living in uh, Victoria and uh, working at, I was probably 10 years or so, 11 years living in Victoria at the time. Okay. And um, loved everything about Victoria, loved everything about the, the, the Gulf Island when I experienced that. It was really, really wicked.
0: Okay. Well, let's get into what you were doing in uh, Victoria at the time because um, I know, but if you want to let the, uh, right. yeah, the yeah. listeners so, know but what what was going on there.
1: Well, I was working at first of all I was working in the kitchen um in Toronto when when it came up. It was hard in Toronto. There's a lot of jobs, but there's just a lot of terrible jobs. It's hard to find a good job. I'm speaking personal. So, it was hard for me to find a good job. A lot of bad ones out there. Anyway, so when I moved here to Victoria, I sent out some resumes. I had seven offers on the first day. Wow. And, uh, I started haggling with all of them. (laughs) I'm like, uh, okay. Um, listen, like, you know, money's tight. So like, what are you prepared to pay? And, uh, I literally went to the highest bidder. Now that wasn't my only thing, but I was like, I'm not going to be pushed around anymore but like it's a it's a corrupt industry and there's all sorts of different people that you work for so you know you live and learn is what I'm getting at so that was first and foremost then obviously the people that you're working with the uh the aura of the place so I worked at um I the place I chose was uh the Victoria Golf Club which is a private golf club very prestigious they're very very proud about their golfing there Apparently it was when I was working there, at best it was ranked number twelve in Canada, and uh they they actually have people that go around and they experience all the golf the this is a Lynx course, so they experience all the Lynx courses all throughout Canada, and then they rate them and so we were rated fairly high. so it was good. I was the uh, events coordinator, and my job was to there were a lot of events there. Um, and they'd be anywhere from 20 people or 10 people to as many as we've done 300. And on the last year, it was only me doing those events. It was, it was pretty crazy. Um, when I started, there was four and then it dwindled down to three, two, and then finally just me. Um, but it was, a you know, a well-oiled machine, a lot of work, a lot of, uh, Organizing skills required and, uh, you just know what needs to be done, write everything down, get your times right. What's going to take the longest to cook? What's going to be the fastest to cook? And you go from there.
0: How long did it take for you to uh, get up to speed with all that? Because the cooking that you were doing before in Ontario, Nothing like
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. So probably most of a year just learning how to cook in that style. I had to learn a lot. There. I was like, I realized how green I was. What they saw in me and what they liked in me. And I guess this is my advantage being a kitchen guy, is I have so much front-of-house experience. So where a lot of the kitchen workers want to hide and stay away from all the clientele, I thrive on that. I, I like meeting them all, and I've no problem talking with people I've never met before. And apparently with very wealthy people that I've never met before either, and uh, the chef liked that, and so he'd put me front and center out there, so that that yeah, that was my job the whole time I was there
0: Okay. Uh, Did you really enjoy it?
1: Really enjoyed it, yeah, really did COVID hit, and then it was over
0: Yeah, of course Not many events being scheduled Yeah Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So what what happened when COVID hit and because, you know, like everybody else, things shut down dramatically, but what happened for you specifically?
1: The original chef left for another job. It was a one man job at that point, is when we had no chef. Mm-hmm. I'd always be working with the chef for this uh function functions. And uh a new chef came on and I just did not get along with this guy. He's just not a nice man. And uh, when COVID hit, no warning, I found out from a bartender that we were going to be closing in a week's time or less. And so I started asking a lot of questions, found out that it was legit. And I'm like, what happens? And he's like, oh, don't worry, Uh you're getting laid off. You know, the HR is going to take care of all the paperwork and everything, but yeah, we're putting you on EI right away. They're going to, because of COVID, the government is pushing this. So I had a lot of help, as he said, from HR. And uh, Chris, that went on for most of a year, just not knowing what was what my future was with the company. They were still open, different. It was different, obviously run completely different. But uh, it was just like, uh, you know, call us in two weeks and I'd call in two weeks and then not get any straight answers and uh and eventually the chef just said uh, yeah we're we've chosen a different direction and uh you're not on the schedule anymore you're not working with it I'm like so you're firing me He's like well um you want to look at it like that i'm like i look at it like i either quit or i'm being fired i'm not quitting so are you firing me he's like well i guess you're being fired then I went okay. Well, then one paycheck isn't going to do it. Let's get a severance package. And uh, he didn't do that. I had to go to HR. It was a big runaround, but I, I got all the money that was owed to me. It was a really nasty way to leave what was a, a good job up to that point. You
0: no, know, that sounds like that sucks. Like, yeah, that's, that's really it, it,
1: it did, but it brought it paved the way uh, during my time. The last two years of uh victoria i met a wonderful woman matilda online so it it kind of gave me the the time required to spend with with her so it was a blessing and it was a curse at the same time so
0: now yeah. well let's talk about how that transition happened for you so you you met uh, matilda Mm -hmm. And she was living on Pender, but maybe if you want to pick up the story about how everything unfolded after things ended with your job.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, while I was still working there and COVID wasn't in the, uh, it wasn't, you know, known. I had met Matilda online and started communicating really, really well with her and back and forth. And, uh, And it was moving pretty fast. And then we, we like, I think we met each other within the first two weeks of communication. So, yeah, it was was fairly fast. And then when COVID hit, uh, we just kept getting more and more, you know, grounded in the relationship. And uh, COVID kept us apart more than we wanted to. It was pretty hard. There was um, a stretch of six months. That I remember doing. Still living in Victoria, I'd come to Pender Island when I could to to visit her, but yeah, there was a long stretch because we were doing it right. Like it, we, there was a lot of people cheating. That wasn't us. We were we were following the guidelines and the rules set out by by our government, and um, and it was it was tough. And uh, anyway, that finally opened up the restr. They lifted the restrictions, but another wave was was in on the works and we could all see this coming and i thought gotta make the move gotta make the move or i didn't want to go through another wave another six months of not being with her so made a few phone calls and got a job with joe's place and um was just happy to have a job at the time and uh through the help of joe uh it wasn't my style of cooking Um, but, uh, it was, he was a very, very generous, very nice person. Um, he he was, yeah, it was, it was good, good start, uh, to introduce me to people. He got me, uh, the cabin that, uh, I was living at at the time. And, and, um, it was because of him that I was able to stay on the Island. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, okay. You move over here because you want to be closer to uh, the woman that you started dating who is Matilda. Mm Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's not going to be happening because of this new wave of restrictions that's going to be thats right more than likely coming into place. So you make the move over and then Joe helps you out finding a place and you're working for him. And how did that first year go for you being on Pender here?
1: Uh, it, w- it was great. There was a time where I didn't have a place and uh, I kept my apartment in Victoria until I could get a place permanently in- on Pender. And there was a time where I was like, just, I couldn't rely. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be the guy who's just like crashing on Matilda's all the time. And she's, you know, like another mouth to feed and whatever. And, uh, and I gave myself to this. I don't know what the date was, but it was a weekend and I let Joe know, like, listen, uh, can't find any place to live on Pender. And if I don't find it by this day, I got to move back to Victoria. I want to stay here, but you know, it's all based on whether or not I can find a place to live. Uh-huh. And he's like, We'll get you a place to live. Don't worry about that. Here's a schedule. <laughs> he was like that. And uh He needed you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it was like the day before or two days before the end. And and I'm like, Joe, like, I gotta go on this day. Like he's like, okay, let me make a few calls. And he got me the place.
0: It was a yeah. very small cabin you were living in when you very
1: first. small cabin, yeah yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. You you just showed me before we started the interview with the, appro- <laughs> the uh, approximate size of it, and that's uh, right. It was like maybe the size of eight bathtubs or something. It was yeah, <laughs> it, it was very small. small,
1: and it, it was it was quaint and it was uh, comfortable and it was pretty, and uh, I was comfortable there. I, except when the power there's no power, I, I had no stove, so no oven for that matter. Uh, so I had a instant pot (laughs) making all my meals with an instant pot that was that was interesting you had to be more creative cooking which always inspires me to be more and more creative but one pot cooks it's tough
0: (laughs) yeah definitely i was i was gonna ask as well too so have you ever lived in a rural situation like this previous to living on pender
1: in ontario yes I'm a small-town guy, but it's a town called Port Dover. It's right on the shore of Lake Erie, and it's a tourist town. And uh, so, yeah, it's quite rural, but in the summer, it's, I don't know, like the little brother of Niagara Falls. <laughs> it's like it's on a very small scale of Niagara Falls, but it's it number of people. A lot, a lot of people come to Port Dover in the summertime. Okay. It's, it's very, very popular. Uh the beach is beautiful. Uh long sandy beach, deep sandy beach and the water's awesome. Like it's very very comfortable to swim in. No offense to the water here but it's freezing. <laughs> but uh beautiful beaches here too, just different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. There is a f- interesting story that brought me here if I may tell that one Please. from Ontario. So I had a girlfriend at the time, she had uh, come out to BC with her mother and as what usually happens, people will come to BC for the first time and they'll fall in love with it and they want to move here. Yeah. And that was certainly no exception to her. And uh, so she put down to me that this is what I want to do. I'd like you to come. What do you think? And uh, I'm like, wow. I don't know. I'm like pretty grounded in Ontario, got a big family. I uh, love my family and I wouldn't be spending a lot of time with my family anymore. Do I want to do this? And I eventually decided, yeah, I, I do. And, um, it w- wasn't a great relationship that I was in. Um, the opportunity was, was interesting. The work was a great surprise to me. As I said, you know, I had a lot of bad. Bad jobs in in Toronto, and that was not my experience in Victoria, so that was great. But the great thing that happened was I have a bunch, I had lived in Ottawa for like 12 years, and I had an Ottawa friend, I had a, just an amazing group of friends that I developed there. And one of them reached out to me and said, Hey, Johnny, I hear you've moved to Victoria, is this true? And I went, Yeah, and, and she's like, Well. Have you gotten a hold of Tim? Tim's a living in Victoria. I went, really, Tim? I haven't. And it's been, at the time, 26 years since I've seen Tim. Who's he Tim? He was a good friend of mine in okay. Ottawa. We okay. had a lot of great times together. Like, just amazing times that we had. And uh, so, I called him up. And he's like, Johnny Cunningham, I haven't heard from you... It, for so long and I'm like, yeah, we lost track. He was a man of the world, he traveled all the time. I go to hang out with Tim and he's like, "Oh, he's not here. He's in South America." He's in uh Peru or whatever. And it, or if he wasn't there, he'd be in Africa. He was all over the place. He was just always wanted to travel. And so I'm I found myself missing him a lot. And then lo and behold, he's uh he's like, "Well, let's let's meet." And he's living like literally two blocks away from where I was living it was Excellent. it was crazy and uh we basically just reconnected our friendship where it left off and just yeah and he's been my best friend since he's awesome
0: right on yeah. that, that makes a big difference moving to a new place and then having uh, like built oh, yeah. in uh Like already made friend like that, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: absolutely. I I actually just wanted to ask as well too, because you mentioned you have a big family in Ontario Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe you could uh, tell us about your family in Ontario. Yeah.
1: My dad's family is a big one. They moved from Ireland and my dad was 18 at the time. He's the oldest of siblings of 13. So imagine that, you're the oldest of 13. They moved to Campbellford, Ontario and um gonna fast forward like because i don't know a lot of the story i was just a young little kid but uh grandpa died when i was seven and then grandma died soon after that it was just like uh will to live kind of deal she loved him so much didn't want to live without him and you know body's a really amazing thing when you can have say over you know if you want to continue if you don't want to continue she didn't want to continue and her body listened to her and so she died maybe a year after and so my dad became the uh patriarch if you will of the family and and uh everybody every one of his brothers or sisters stayed at our house at some point wow Uh, some for months some for years some for days but it was always like that and if they had no place to go for Christmas, Christmas was a big deal in our household Then they would come to our place and I remember some of the Christmases my mom and dad lived modestly they had three bedrooms for me and my brother and sister but that place had way more people than what (laughs) what they should have been able to accommodate Uh, because there were some Christmases where we had over 30 people and um, they were like literally there'd be like bed rolls or sleeping bags or something just stretched on a part of the floor somewhere, but you wake up as a kid and you see that mountain of gifts for thirty plus people. It was quite amazing to behold
0: I like, can't imagine the mountain yeah. of wrapping paper after that was all
1: about <laughs> yeah, true, yeah, we had a lot of a lot of garbage bags on the counter. <laughs>
0: So you got to really know all your aunts and uncles, 12 aunts oh, and uncles very, on your yeah, dad's side. Yeah. yeah. If yeah they're very old. well.
1: Still do. I mean, they uh, still have uh, people come and go. I had a, when I was 18, so one of my uncles, uh, Julian, he uh, moved to England at a young age. Very amazing man. Wanted to be an actor. Very funny. Very, he'd, when I was a kid, he'd be the one to put on Christmas plays. He'd write them and okay. then get his brothers and sisters to star in them, write their roles, and they'd be hilarious. I wouldn't understand it. I was like, I was way too young. But judging by the laughter, it was uh it was quite <laughs> good. And uh I had an opportunity uh when I was 18 to go to England and stay with him, and I did that. And uh, sadly he passed away six months after. My, after I returned, he passed away rather suddenly of a brain aneurysm. And, um, and I, uh, a lot of my, well, all of my aunts and uncles did a lot of one on one with me and just wanted to know what, what I did. What fun times did you have with my brother, Julian? And, and, uh, and I tell them all I could. I realized how lucky I was. I, I was the last person to see him in the family. And uh, yeah, so telling those stories was was an interesting way in which I saw him because I saw him in a way that they didn't. And and it was a way for him to reconnect with family. And it, it, was, it was as important to him as it was
0: me, I, I think. Well, yeah. how long were you visiting him there on that uh, trip? It
1: was a year. Oh, it was, it was a, a full was a year. year. Okay. All yeah, right. I had an open return ticket when I when I left.
0: Obviously, in, in a year a lot of stories happen.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of stories. Yeah. And he he actually I I should say he was a general manager of a uh, Carvery, which is a pub and uh restaurant. But only the carvery they'd have a a, a chef carving three different meats. At a, so it was a buffet, but on a grandiose scale and pretty upper class it was expensive to eat um but yeah it was so I, that was my introduction more or less to the industry at cool. the, at the time so that so.
0: was a super impactful trip in your life obviously oh yeah major big time and then brothers and sisters back home in mm-hmm. Ontario Once yeah, I'm the
1: middle t- child, my sister is a year older, she's a nurse she lives in Port Dover still, has uh, two wonderful kids. And uh, my brother is six years younger than I am. He has his own jiu-jitsu gym in Sarnia. And uh, he was a fierce competitor in jiu-jitsu at the time and won a lot of awards and medals and stuff. And um, was actually an invite into the UFC. I can't remember what year it was. And he would have fought. Carlos Newton had he accepted he, he like he was the champion in his uh weight class the, w- the welterweight and uh, uh Rowan had like i think uh less than 2 weeks to train for that fight so he he passed it on it was obviously a big fight but like those guys in the ufc they train for a year for one fight that might last 30 seconds you know sure yeah so he passed that up. He he doesn't regret that. But anyway, he uh he's uh a trainer on a very big scale. He goes to UFC events a lot. He he's trained some really prominent Canadians who represent the UFC and and uh so he's been all that's uh, taken him all over the world. And uh he's he's like that. I'm talking more about my brother than my sister. Uh my sister's hilarious. She's the very uh creative extremely funny. Uh, we just have such a good time when we're together.
0: It sounds like your family is pretty tight. That's um, yeah, yeah.
1: a very tight family.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, something else I wanted to talk about while we're doing this as well too, is your love of photography. So the first time that we yeah. actually got together and talked, which was uh, a New Year's Eve get together. And uh, you That's told right. me about your, uh, your passion for photography. And I know you wanted to uh, share a little bit about that, but yeah. let's hear about your, uh, your number one hobby outside of cooking.
1: Uh, yeah I' tried the cooking <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah so um yeah when the uh, uh woman that i moved up to uh, b c with that fell through and i i always had the urge to take up photography and then i i i did it then, and uh got myself a camera i was shooting landscapes, and uh i was at um where was i now macaulay point in esquimalt which is a beautiful sanctuary park and right on the water it's sunrise i'm taking some photos of the sunrise and then i hear there's like six orcas literally 30 yards off in the water and i start shooting them but i'm like so caught up in the moment I couldn't believe what I was seeing never seen an orca uh, ever and shaking and uh, really I couldn't believe what I was seeing and then um, so I shot off as many photos as I could take and, uh, and then people were coming out and like I've lived here for 35 years I've never seen anything like that before and then I realized like it's not just being at the right place at the right time as it's like it's being there because it's easy to say oh, i'll do it tomorrow i'll do it tomorrow but if then you're gonna miss it right if you're there and i was there if i could be there every day i would have but some days i had to you know i had to work had other commitments or whatever but uh, uh yeah when i saw the orcas that was it for me and like i'm shooting the wrong thing landscapes no i'm shooting wildlife and so i got into wildlife started researching it i said you want to start out i want to be a wildlife photographer start shooting birds i went i didn't have much of an interest in birds but they're hard to shoot so i got that so if you could like get that that's the making of a like every good wild photographer wildlife photographer will shoot birds
0: so why are birds hard to shoot
1: they're so fast so hard to focus on so it's hard to get like it's, it's, uh, magical, Chris, when you're like, you're basically, you're, you're teaching yourself how to pan your ca- camera at the same speed that the bird is flying by at. And if you pan it just right, you'll have the bird or part of the bird completely in focus and everything else is blurred out. And it's a magical picture. If you can get the light, lighting right and, uh, everything else that is extremely difficult in taking it, it's, uh, Yeah, you get there. There's something about getting that eye in focus as it's flying by. And I know how difficult that is. When you do it, it's it's monumental. It's it's big. But what ends up happening is you come home, you upload all the images on your computer, and uh I might have a thousand, might have over a thousand, and you're deleting like nine hundred because it's like not in focus, not in focus, not in focus. You get that one, it's worth it.
0: Yeah. So, going out for, you know, an afternoon just yeah. to just to get one picture is worth it.
1: Oh, absolutely. That one shot, it's worth eight hours to me. Yeah. Easy. Yeah.
0: That's an interesting way to look at the experience, right? Because yeah. I think that uh, our society sort of goes on quantity more than quality, but...
1: Nah, No, qu- quality.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then, so, you, you were captivated by the experience with the orcas and wanted to shoot yeah. wildlife so you started with the birds and then where did that take you
1: well i'd uh i'd expecting birds because that's what you're going to see you're going to see more birds than anything but what i do i have a thing where i'll i'll uh i'm learning I'm learning this currently in pender here but uh i'll pick out a few spots and i'll look for you know the time of the year where the uh, spot is shaded but the sun is the, the sun is there so I've, I'm under the shade and I'm kind of hidden, and I'll just park there. I'll stay there all day uh, or many hours and uh, just wait for stuff to happen. And it's a matter of having the not being on your phone, having the camera ready. You've already uh, metered the light and you're expecting, and guessing where the bird's gonna fly by but you want it to fly by in a certain area because lighting is just right there and never works that way but whatever and uh but yeah that's when i mean that was all this it was very successful in victoria and it's becoming that way slowly here but uh i had spots that i scouted out for a long time in victoria and that's why i was successful with it other thing is the birds have to be comfortable with people and they're just not on pender i find so uh i mean at the farm here the property we have a pond and the ducks there's several ducks that like going there um some mergensers and uh i'll go out and i'll walk really slow and the first time the first few times they'd fly away immediately the moment they saw me they'd fly away in victoria i could go right up to them but, uh, then they were there the next day and I did it. They fly away, but after a week they got, they got used. To now I can walk right up to the shoreline. They're not flying away. So that, that's pretty cool.
0: That's super cool. So yeah. you would climatize the birds to, yeah. to you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. you do that at your, your nest, if you will, where I'll find a spot at a beach. Usually yeah, I like beaches. So, um, but with some rocky formation, some cover over my head. So I'm not shooting in direct sunlight and, uh, kingfishers, pretty magic. If I can get one of those eagles, of course, love shooting birds of prey. Yeah, you'll get the seals. I got the, uh, two years ago mink. That was awesome. So I'd never seen a mink in my life, but got really good photos of a, of a red furred mink. <laughs> so that was, that was neat. Every now and then like stuff just happens. And it's just a matter of being patient. It's a game it's a game of patience, like fishing.
0: Totally. I'm so curious about the time that you spend waiting for these nature pictures to show themselves or waiting for birds Mm -hmm. to present themselves like what is all that waiting time like because you're you're saying don't be on the phone Mm -hmm. or else you're gonna possibly miss something that's when it happens Yeah. yeah so how do you uh enjoy that time being out there by yourself because it seems like very solitary and not a lot happening for the majority of the time you're out there i would presume right
1: right yeah, you can look at it that way. For me, it's, yeah, I'll be out there the majority of the time and I'm not getting any photos. But there's always something happening around you. Whether you can see it and it's too far away from, I mean, I would love to have the camera lens that will zoom out far enough and give me these great images. But, you know, there's, I mean, it's such an expensive hobby. These guys that are, Showing these amazing shots of these birds in flight, like, you know, these professionals who are using $10,000 lenses, like super expensive equipment. They, they have, um, it's neither here nor there. What I'm getting at is that there's always something happening in front of you mm-hmm. and it may be out of range of your camera or it may be in a, in a way overly lit area that is not conducive to good photography. Or you could just be hearing stuff that you're not used to hearing. And, and that, for me, is as magical, almost, as getting the magic on the camera, you know? You're still seeing it. You're still witnessing it. You can't bring it home and say, here's the evidence that I witnessed it. But uh, it's not a day lost for me. It's going out, coming back with one photo or no photos. It's still a good day in photography for me.
0: Well said, yeah. because sincerely, I I totally hear you and understand you. We're spending so much time staring at screens, whether it be like yeah. laptops or yeah. phones, and we're giving so much attention to things going on in the two-dimensional reality versus the three-dimensional reality, where it's like real life, right? So yeah. you're there experiencing and witnessing what's going on in the real world and just being present with it. I think that's really, really great. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I wanted to transition into what you are doing on uh Pender now that you've been here for right. it. How long exactly how has it been? So when did you move here officially? Uh,
1: two years living in the in the cabin and uh and then here. And um uh, what I'm doing now is uh working at Woods. I, I started at Joe's place, as I said, uh from Joe's the next wave of COVID came and he made layoffs. And uh, anyway, I got introduced to a fella named Lino and uh, Lino's super funny, awesome guy. Anyway, uh, he's a cabinet builder of sorts and uh, he uh, lives two doors away from the cabin I was living at and uh, I don't remember how it started, but I went over, I introduced myself, we met and, uh, we had a few beers and, uh, and then I had work. He offered me work and I took it and, uh, it was great working for him. I'm not a woodworker at all, but it was nice doing something different. And, um, I guess it was like doing finishing work. They put these big window panes of white cedar and, you know different other different types of woods and I'd uh I'd sand them I'd uh I'd coat them I'd uh put this finishing wax and stuff on it and uh made it look really really pretty and yeah it was, it was pretty cool I did that for most of a year and then it's weird how things happen I had an opportunity to go back in the kitchen with uh somebody and then at the same time uh woods kind of had me curtis from woods kind of had me on the radar and that happened at the same time everything nothing happens alone everything happens multiply and i find in pender anyway so i met with curtis and we hit it off uh he's a really really good guy he does the type of cooking that inspires me to want to cook again and uh he's all about flavor and so I took the job with Woods, turned down the other job, and uh, really uh, tested my creativity again as uh, as a cook. So it's really taken me to be uh, like a much better cook than I was before I got that job. Oh, so, really? Yeah. How come? Because he's very uh, flavor oriented. Whereas my other chefs that I work with weren't, they were, uh, numbers, get the, get it out, you know, uh, this is what you got to work with. Use it and get it out as fast as you can. And, uh, Curtis is like, I don't want you to just use anything. Uh, we're going to use the best ingredients. He's all about tasty ingredients is going to equal tasty food. He's all about that. So it's a matter of, uh, finding different ways to cook like a side of vegetables that can be boring and we're making them exciting, you know? So it's, it's not easy cooking like that. You have to kind of think how it's like when I'm talking vegetables, like we're, I'm doing on a, on a prep day there, I've got about eight, sometimes 10 different vegetable sides that may be used in a pizza maybe used in a vegan bowl of some kind, anything. But when we're working, we've got all of these vegetables that are unique. It's not just like broccolini. It's broccolini that's uh, cooked in a red wine and um, some smoked honey maybe and black sesame seeds or something like I don't know. Uh, like, I'll pull out a bunch of ingredients on the fridge, just what i got to work with, and I'll come up with something
0: creative. And it's forcing you to be creative. Yeah. And, and, and
1: it's different every week. Every week it's different. You've got, And it's, uh, you know, the, the great thing about uh, the relationship that I'm in with Matilda is uh, we're using her produce. So I've got the best produce for the best end result. Like, we're creating really yummy food because we're using really, really good food.
0: Right. And just so people know that uh, Matilda runs Raven Rock Farms. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and yeah, I I had a chance to eat at Woods this uh summer or actually this fall. That's and, right. Uh, yep, it uh, was so awesome. It was so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. That's right. And uh yeah, it was 'cause it, it was kind of funny. My mom and my wife both got burgers and and he came hmm. over to explain what was inside the patty. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Anyway. Oh, yeah. yeah,
1: I, But that's what's great about it. It's not just a burger patty. It's uh, a very good ground chuck. And then I put eight ingredients in the ground beef before I form it into patties. Like, it's great. The meatballs, again, that you had in the bolognese, like, a lot of ingredients in there. Because it's all about trial and error going through it. This is like a little bit dry. They got to use the fatty meats with the lean meats, and you know, ah, it's just it's fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's not, really fun. Yeah, I don't want this to uh, wind up sound like a commercial for uh, Woods, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, the food <laughs> is amazing there. Good, you do an incredible good, job. You seriously food. do, right? right? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, um, we're just re- reaching the end of our time here in mm-hmm. a little bit, but I just wanted to. Uh, uh, ask is there anything else that you want to talk about during this interview that you hadn't touched on yet that you wanted to let uh, the people of Pender and beyond know about yourself there Johnny No
1: just like uh I'm uh love cooking when I'm off I like cooking which is rare apparently in the industry so when a lot of cooks are done their job they'll come home and have pizza pockets you know I'll come home and I'll cook up some a stir fry or today actually i we had bolognese without the meatballs but a bolognese sauce pasta Uh, you know i like cooking like that matilda and i was great uh she'll do a big harvest and i'll just cook a, a big batch of something and then we'll freeze it you saw the freezers downstairs that's a lot of harvest and a lot of batch cooking so we have everything from uh pesto sauce to primavera, to just simply roasted potato, or roasted tomatoes, stocks, a lot of stocks. I use, I'm uh, always making stocks and and broths and whatnot. Um, yeah, so it's I like that. So no, nothing more to touch on really. I think I touched on a lot. I could go on in a lot more, but uh, no, nothing that's jumping out and saying that this needs to be discussed.
0: All right. Well, there's one more thing to say, and that's the uh, title of this podcast, and it's Welcome
1: Home. Ah, excellent. Nice. (laughs) Chris, thanks for the time. Appreciate this.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to that. And thank you again to Johnny for doing that interview. That was really fun. I've been receiving a lot of good feedback lately about the podcast, and I want to thank you, the listener, for showing up to listen to these. And if you feel like sharing these podcasts so more people have an opportunity to hear them, I think that would be great. I know right now we're inundated with possible things to listen to and to watch, and I've heard from people on a number of occasions that they forget about the podcast until it pops up on a social media feed for them every now and then. So I'm trying to do what I can to remind people about the podcast, and if you would like to share this podcast with anybody, please feel free to do so. Again, if you'd like to purchase a calendar to help support this podcast, you can go to genevajacobsart.com and there is a link for that in the description. While you're on the website, if you go to the link that says shop, it'll take you directly to where the calendars are, or if you just click on it, it should take you right there. I want to give a thanks to Ben McConkey for providing the theme music for this podcast, and again, thank you for listening. Until next time.